If you have your copy of God's Word, would you uh, take it and open it to the Gospel of John chapter 1. And if you're taking notes this morning, you'll notice uh, in our bulletin our, our passage that we start with is John chapter 1 verses 14 through 18. But later on we'll also look at uh, John chapter 9. Would you stand with me now as we read from God's Word, John chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He comes after me, is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Let us pray. Father, we come to you and we pray now that you would help us as we look at the life of your son Jesus, how we are to handle those precious commodities of grace and truth in our lives. We pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, I'm going to dance to that if it keeps playing. I don't know what it is, but, you know, something, something's going to happen if I hear that music. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus in this passage, it's interesting. John was the fourth gospel. John lived longer than all the other apostles. John, he, uh, he lived much longer. And when he wrote his fourth gospel, he included some things that weren't included in the first three gospels that were that were uh, written earlier. And in fact, they're so alike, they're called the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, as in synonyms, they're alike. And John had a lot longer. He knew what was written in those first three gospels. He lived a lot longer. He had longer to reflect. And when he wrote his gospel, he really looked back and he said, here's some things that people really need to understand. And so while the Gospel of Mark just begins straight in with Jesus' adult ministry, and the Gospels of Matthew and Luke uh, talk about the stories surrounding his birth, John says, hey, we're going to go just a little bit further back and, um, you know, the beginning. And he talks about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And, and, and he tells us how Jesus was there, part of the Trinity, at the very beginning of creation. And, and he goes along giving us this full-fledged uh, explanation of who Jesus was. And, and he gets to these verses where we read... And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And dwelt among us can be translated, he tabernacled. Well, that didn't help most of us. But uh, the Old Testament, the Jewish folks would understand because tabernacle was just another word for a tent. That's why before they built the temple, they had the tabernacle and they just basically had one big tent. So the idea, by the way, of a tent revival, it's not new. The, the, they did it way back then, okay? The Jews had a big tent where they worshiped. So in other words, Jesus set up 
his tent. He pitched a tent. He, he came and camped out among us. God said, I want you to get an up close and personal look at me. And John says at the end of this passage, it says, nobody's ever seen God face to face. Oh yeah, but they have because they've seen Jesus. I want people to see me and who I truly am and what I really look like. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus came down from the Father and then he gives this interesting phrase full of grace and truth. Grace and truth are things that we talk about a lot in church. We just sang a couple of songs that happen to be all about grace. We sang Amazing Grace. We sang Great is Your Love, O God, and, and about this grace that we had. And, and then we preach and teach and talk about the truth of the gospel, that it is the truth that we can lay, uh, it's, a, it's a solid foundation that we can build our lives on. So grace and truth, if I say, hey guys, the lesson today is I want you to, you know, do, do grace and do truth, okay? You got that? All right, amen. You know, I, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't go home and say, I learned a brand new thing today. We've all been taught that we should be people of truth and that we should be people of grace. But today's message is entitled Harmony with Grace and Truth or Grace and Truth in Harmony. In other words, it's not just that we need to know that we need to have grace and truth in our lives. It's that we need to balance them properly. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at two bad examples, two ways that we shouldn't try to balance grace and truth, that we shouldn't deal with grace and truth in our life. And then the third point will be looking at Jesus and what he did in John chapter 9 and how that's a great example for us to actually have a harmony between grace and truth in our lives. Number one attempt to balance grace and truth, and that is pick a favorite. Pick a favorite. That is, I know there's grace and truth out there, but you know, I don't like that whole grace stuff. I'm a truth guy. I'm into knowing what the Word says. I'm into knowing exactly what everybody should do at every time, not just me. I, I, I'm sure about every single thing that I believe. I, I, can't, I don't have any more to learn. I know it all. And, and dadgummit, not only am I going to live by that, but I'm going to make sure you live by that too. And people who get onto that true side of things, oh, I mean, they're awesome people a lot of times. I mean, they can tell you the Greek and Hebrew behind it. They can tell you how many, how many times this verse was in Scripture and, and all the background. And, and they're full of this truth, these things that they learn. But the problem is when they get that way and it's just, hey, Grace, uh, that's, uh, that's that wimpy stuff. I'm a truth guy. I'm a truth gal. I, I'm just all about the truth. Truth without grace suffers. Truth, as wonderful it is, and by the way, we all want to live our lives based on the truth. Okay, we, we can be real happy living based on a lie, but once that lie is discovered, everything falls apart. So we want truth. We don't want to be lied to. We want to live based on truth. But truth by itself can be cold. Uh, truth can be heartless. Truth by itself can end up building conceit and arrogance. And I can all of a sudden, by the way, truth by itself ends up not being truth. 
Because what happens is the more I know and the better I am and, and the more sure I am, I kind of tend to forget about certain things that I'm not as good as living at in the Christian life. So I de-emphasize those. But these truths over here, man, you better live by them if you want to be on my side, which is the right side. And we've all come in, in, into contact with these people that they claim to be Christians and man, if you say something they disagree with, boy, they can quote not just one scripture, but two or three or four, and they can look it up and reference you and tell you about a book or a preacher who says so. But when you begin to look for love and kindness and charity and grace in their life, you're going to be straining. You're going to be squinting. Where is it? Where is the evidence in their life of that? So many of us have at times seen strict, cold, hard truthers. And they're all about that truth. And we react badly against that. We say, well, I want to go on the grace side. And, and the grace side, it does sound really nice. I mean, you know, we sing more about grace. You know, we have a song, Amazing Grace. I don't think we have one, Amazing Truth. I mean, grace is just more fun to sing about because we all know, most of us who haven't convinced ourselves that we're perfect, we, we know we need grace. And grace is awesome. Grace is wonderful to know that there is forgiveness, to know that there are second chances, to know that even though we're not perfect and we don't measure up, God can still love us and bless us anyway. And so the grace side of things is super duper attractive. But when grace gets divorced from truth, when it gets separated from truth, it also, just like truth becomes not truth, grace becomes not grace. Because when grace gets away from truth, there are no standards anymore. There's no anyone to say anything is wrong or right. It's just, instead of being true grace, it becomes just a general license to do whatever you want. Oh, I'm all about grace. And so, yeah, you know, maybe they're doing what they shouldn't do, but hey, don't we all... Uh, or, or who's to say that they're wrong? You know, come on, we're all wrong somewhere. And grace without truth becomes liberalism. It becomes, oh, we're just lovey-dovey. We love everyone. We want everyone to be happy. And, and so we're just going to say, hey, we love you all. Don't bother with standards. But again, it just becomes not real grace it becomes cheap grace. You see, true grace is costly. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran minister who died in World War II for opposing Hitler. He wrote a book, well, he wrote several books about discipleship. And he talked about the cheap grace that we offer enter into. And, and grace becomes cheapened because we just make it that God is just winking at what we do. Oh, I see you, but hey, that's no biggie. Go ahead. That God is just saying, yeah, I'm cool with that, man. You're all right. Keep living the way you want to live. But see, in reality, grace is costly. Grace does not look at our sin and say, no big. Grace looks at our sin and says, it's enormous. 
In fact, it is so big that only my perfect son, only his blood shed on the cross can pay the price for your sin. And so grace is not cheap. Grace is infinitely costly. And Jesus paid the cost for us. But when we become divorced from truth, when we get away from what real grace is, grace is cheapened because instead of God's precious blood being shed for our sin, it's just, hey, no biggie, not a big deal. And both sides, and by the way, then when we get on this side over here, we say we don't judge any, but we do because we judge the truth people. Oh, they're so hard and cold and ugly and both sides, although they sound good, man, I want to be a truth person. I want to be a grace person. When they get separated from the other, they get really ugly. They get really messed up. They get really far from what Jesus called us to do. So the first wrong way to handle grace and truth in your life, to balance them, is to pick a favorite. To say, I'm going to be a truth person or I'm going to be a grace person. The second way is moderation, or you might say 50-50. This way says, you know, you're right. That gets really ugly. Those people who are like all up into truth and, and they're all theological and stuff, man, they, they kind of they tick me off. You know, they, they, they make me mad. I don't want to be one of them. By the way, years ago when I was in my master's degree and I was thinking about going, in, going forward into a doctorate, and I told a friend of mine who had, he was a little ahead of me, and he'd gone on and gotten a, a doctorate in preaching. And I told him, I said, man, I'm, I'm thinking about doing a doctorate in theology. He said, you want to be one of them? No way. You don't want to be one of those guys, as in those pointy-headed theologians who, you know, it, we say, oh, I don't want to be too much like that. Or we say, well, I don't want to be too out there, too liberal, or whatever. I just kind of want to be in the middle and so what we do is we take a little of each. We say, I want some truth light, and I want some grace light. And if I take about, you know, a medium kind of amount, kind of about a 50% over here, 50% over here, put them together, then I'm going to be your good, moderated, in the middle kind of Christian. And lots and lots of Christians take this road because they see this grace only or this truth only approach and how ugly they look and they're like man i don't want to do that i don't want to be some crazy person out on the fringe whether it's ultra liberal or ultra conservative so i'm just going to have a little grace and a little truth and that sounds better so a lot of people go that avenue don't get too much theology don't get too much grace don't go overboard with anything let me just have a little of both. The problem is what we've got is a little of both. What we've got is less than God intended for us to have. We're kind of truth people and we're kind of grace people, but we never end up being what God really wanted us to be. We're kind of halfway. We're kind of mediocre we're kind of so-so, kind of, I don't know, what did Jesus say about some people who were neither hot nor cold, but were lukewarm? In Revelation, he says, man, those, 
They make me sick. Because what they've done is said, I don't want too much of this Christian stuff, too much of this Jesus stuff. I don't want to be overboard with truth. I don't want to be overboard with grace. So just let me have a little bit of both and I'll be balanced. And so many Christians live their life that way and it's Christianity light. God doesn't want us to do either. God says that he wants us to be like Jesus. The Bible tells us we are looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the example for us. He is the way that we are to live. And what did Jesus, what did God have to say about him? Point number three, how do you do this? You choose to be full of grace and full of truth. You choose, I'm not going to take a side. I'm not going to moderate just a little bit, but I want it all. I want fullness of God's truth and I want fullness of God's grace. Now, again, I'm not claiming that we ever say that we attain, oh, I've measured up, I'm completely full of his truth or completely full of his grace. We, we know we're not because guess what? We all got leaks. No matter how much God pours into us or other Christians pour into us, our own flesh along with our circumstances and the, the world around us kind of ends up draining us. So we constantly have to come back to God and say, fill me with your grace, fill me with your truth, so that I can be overflowing, so that I can pour out and, and be there the way others uh, need to see Jesus in me. But here's what happens. When we become fully grace or truth people, sometimes things get messy. If we, if we say, I want to be fully both, sometimes we get in circumstances and situations where we feel like, well, I'm, I want to be both. But there's, there's no right answer here because sometimes we're presented or we present ourselves with false choices. And that's what happened in John chapter 9. There are some people who are really just trying to get Jesus. They didn't care about truth or grace. They, compared, they cared about tearing Jesus down. But they thought they were going to trap him in a trap which he was going to get blasted by one side or the other because they're thinking you could only be one side or the other. They thought you got to be a grace person, you got to be a truth person. So they brought him this woman. And you just see this huge group of men dragging this bedraggled, worn out, frustrated, exhausted, tearful woman before them and say, Look, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. And just in case you, you think, well, well maybe he was, she really was just going over for coffee, they say she was caught in the act. The woman's probably half-dressed at this point. Now, we already see the hypocrisy of these people, because if you're caught in the act, aren't there usually two? Shouldn't there be a man and a woman there if they were caught in the act? But no, they let the man go, and they drag this woman before Jesus. And they say, Jesus, what are we supposed to do with her? You know, back in the, the, the law, it says she should be stoned. See, they wanted Jesus to pick a side. They were under Roman rule. They no longer had the ability to enact the death penalty themselves. They had to go to the Romans. That's why the Jewish leaders took Jesus and handed him over to Pilate. Because Rome claimed for itself the power of life and death. 
So in other words, they wanted to trick Jesus. Jesus, you got two options. And you tell, you're so smart, Jesus, you tell us which one is right. Option number one, you be a good law person, a good truth person. And we all start stoning this woman to death. And these people had such lack of grace and love in their hearts. I almost imagine they already had stones in their hands, just ready to throw. But on the other hand, if he said, whoa, now, whoa, 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 we're, you know, we hadn't been stoning people for adultery for a long time. And all of a sudden you say she was caught in the act and you just bring her and not him. And, and, and we're not even supposed to, to kill anybody under this law, under Roman rule. If he said stone them, the Romans were going to come after him. If he said, oh, don't stone because we can't do that anymore. Oh, you love Rome. You're a traitor. You're not a true Jew. You're not a true person of God. You don't stick to the truth, what was written. And there were the alternatives that they left to Jesus. You're going to get in trouble with the Jews, or you're going to get in trouble with the Romans. Pick your poison. Which one do you want, Jesus? And the Bible says, as if Jesus didn't even hear them... Later talking, he's like, oh. he starts bending over and writing something on the ground. Now, there's been lots of speculation about what he wrote. Maybe he wrote some verses about mercy. Maybe he wrote some verses about integrity. Some say that he might have started writing out the sins of some of those who were closest around and could see what he was writing. But they keep on... What are you doing, Jesus? What's your choice? Which one? And they wanted to force him. Be a grace person. Be a truth person. Jesus stands up and he says, You want to stone her? Okay, let me lay out the protocol. If we're going to stone her, here's the way it's going to happen properly. The one of you that's never sinned is going to pick up the first stone and start the whole thing rolling and then he kneels back down he starts writing some more maybe it's some more good loving bible verses maybe it's some more about the sins reminding those guys of what they had done but the bible says one by one from the oldest to the youngest they began to drop those stones and they began to walk away because they realized that if they were honest in their own hearts and considered their own sins, they were more worthy of death than this woman who had been taken before them. You know, I love that it's the oldest ones first and then the youngest. There's a lot of things to be said for youth, but sometimes in, in our youth, we're so sure about everything in the world that this person's bad and this person's good and this thing has got to be taken care of and this... And it took the older ones, they got it quicker. It wasn't the young ones who were quicker. The older ones said, yeah, I've lived a lot of life. I've done a lot of stuff. And I'd hate to think if I was the one in the middle of the circle. And they drop their stones and they walk away. And one by one, they do this until the very last man was gone. And there, this woman was now alone with Jesus. Jesus. 
And he asked her a very interesting question. He said, woman, where are your accusers? Or we might say, nowadays you might say, uh, ma'am, what happened to all those folks who were gathered around you? She said, they're not here. <laughs> they're gone. Nobody here to condemn me anymore. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I love his response that was full of both truth and grace. The grace part was, yes, you failed. Yes, you've fallen. Yes, you've sinned. But I'm not here to condemn you. And right along with that grace was the truth that said, I don't condemn you either. Now, because of grace, you have a fresh start. You have an opportunity to live for God and no longer be chained to sin, no longer to be shackled by the slavery of sin. Make a fresh new start. Go and sin no more. For many of us, if we were confronted with that woman, if we were on the truther side, boy, maybe we wouldn't have stoned her, but we'd have, we'd have had some things to say about how we were going to distance ourselves or what we were going to do and, and what she deserved. And then maybe some of us on the, on the grace side would have said, oh, it's okay, honey, we've all sinned. Don't worry about it. Jesus loves you. Just go on your way. But Jesus said, I'm not here to condemn. But I also love you so much that not only am I going to give you grace, but I'm going to give you truth. And I'm going to tell you that you have an opportunity to change your life. Walking in my grace and truth, you have an opportunity to change and to be someone who is full of my grace and truth and the, the Spirit of God. Now go and sin no more. Go and live a life of honor. Go and live a life of blessing. It's not easy to get this right, okay? I'm not up here claiming to have attained this perfect balance, but I tell you, if we understand what the right goal is, we're more likely to get there or get a lot closer to it. So I, I just want to appeal directly to you, uh, not something where you raise your hand and say, yes, I'll do this, or, or walking out. I just want to, in your heart, I want to appeal to you. If you have, in the past, if you've identified as a grace person or a truth person, I hope that by the word of God, that you would open your heart and see that God says, I want more for you. I don't want this half or that half. And if you've been that kind of person that's, oh, well, I'm a 50-50, I'm a I'm a moderate, I'm a little bit of grace, little bit of truth kind of person, that you will also understand that God wants more for you, not just half and half, not just one or the other. But God has called each of us to live like Jesus, to pursue him, to follow him. And when we're following him and looking at his example what do we see? Fullness of grace and fullness of truth. And so I want to challenge each of you today that you talk to God about this and that you say, God, that's where I want to be. That's what my goal is, to be as full of your truth and as full of your grace and to never abandon or cut short either one that made Jesus who he was and will make me more like him.
Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, God, we mess up in so many ways. We, we could sit here and talk all day long. Just like Jesus could have kept on writing and kept on writing and kept on writing if, if that was sins that he was writing. If, it's not just religious fanatics from 2,000 years ago. It's regular men and women, boys and girls right here today. We mess up a lot. And God, without your grace and without your truth, we would be so lost. Completely helpless. We're thankful that your grace and your truth touched us and came into contact with each of us at some point in our lives. And, and Father, I believe that most, if not all, have responded to that grace and that truth. And if there's anyone here today who has not yet responded, God, I pray that they would open their hearts and by faith receive you. That forgiveness of their sins, that they acknowledge their sinfulness and turn from it that they might receive your grace. God, I, I pray that that would happen. But Lord, for those of us who have embraced your grace and truth, I want to ask today that it becomes our grace and truth. That Lord, just like your son Jesus was so full of grace and so full of truth that people couldn't have help but notice and see and listen so they could see what was going on. God, that people would see your son Jesus reflected in us and that fullness of grace and truth would be a part. Lord, and help us to not be prideful. Help us to admit where we failed you and to honestly, sincerely desire by your power and your strength to be more like Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd bless our time of invitation as we respond to you. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.